Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Byron, what do we need to apologize for? Let's get it out of the way. Oh, shoot. I thought of something earlier today, but I can't remember what it was. Well, Oh, I guess... well, one thing we can apologize for, it's for the hashtag blessed version of our show, but it's just the fact that you were the moderator and we literally ran all over you this last time. Yeah, but... I, I need to get better talent is what I... Well, but I, nah, I think your talent's pretty solid. <laughs> it's me, um, but no, so of course, I, I think part I'm, of it's... it is we have two, like three people to talk to. It's more, we had three people total before, so I think that's kind of hard. It makes it harder. I don't know. I think we we'll can figure get better it at it. I, I have an idea I can share with you later about how we can might be able to fix it a little bit. But Such cute, Byron. Yeah, it's awesome. Such I'm pretty cute. great. Well, before we get the show started, <laughs> we basically have to do that thing where we have a sponsor. So here it is. All right, on with the show. On today's show, we actually are going to have a millennial pastor. If you have heard, we're in a cycle of three. So what I mean by that is we're trying to do different style guests in our long form show, which is what this is. So our first guest, we're trying to have a nun or a dun, someone who is done with church or has no faith uh, affiliation with anything, you know, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, whatever. Uh, We then our second guest was what we would call a seasoned saint, someone who's been to church all their lives and is still investing and mentoring in young people. Then our third guest in the cycle of three will be millennial pastors. So that is who we have today on the show with us is Trevor. Trevor, say hello. Well, hello, friends. How are you? Such good. Doing pretty good, bud. Thanks for being on. Of course, not a problem. So Trevor, give us a little bit of information about yourself. Give us your full name. We need your age because we're going to go back to the millennial stuff with you. And then we also need to know where, where you're at and what you're doing. Sounds good. Well, I'm Trevor Cherry Holmes. Um, I was thinking that I might be a seasoned saint since I was born like on a Sunday. So seven days later, I was in the church. So I've been in the church for 27 years now. Oh man, so I, I don't, I, I'm not so sure how that works. But yeah, I'm 27 years old. Uh, and uh, I'm married to my wonderful wife. We have a new five month old son. And uh, we're in Arizona currently. I live in like Apache Junction, for those who know where that is. So it's the edge of nowhere. And I drive all the way in to Tempe, uh, and I work at Tempe Nazarene Church. So yeah, a good 20 miles, but uh, it's what we could afford, you know? (laughs) For sure. Where where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Arizona? I I initially grew up in Denver. I went to DFC there for many years, and then my family moved to Oro Valley. And so I've always been a big church kid, and then moving to Tempe just a few years ago, was a little bit of a shock when you go from like a thousand plus to 200, but it's been great. And what, what do you do at Tempe Nas? Um, I think like, so we're in this like weird transition, but I think I can officially say that I'm an associate pastor now. I've kind of graduated from that youth pastor to associate pastor level. I'm not paid anymore, but it makes me feel good inside. (laughs) (laughs) You have more responsibilities is what I'm hearing. I, well, I always had them. It's just now I have the title to go with it. So <laughs> that reminds me of a guest we had last season. Uh, remember Preston Byron? He basically made up his title. Yeah, that was for great. His job. That was I, awesome. His title was ridiculous too. And it was awesome. Yeah, we we thought it was the most millennial sounding thing ever. And he's like, "Well, that might be because a millennial made it up." I'm like, oh, <laughs> makes sense, Preston. <laughs> so you're now an associate, which means you share some duties uh, with uh, with the lead pastor, perhaps. Is that what that looks like? 
Yeah. Yeah. I've been at the hospital quite a bit this week. And so, um, you know, I mean, I think, I think all pastors should do that, but I guess not all do. Um, but yeah, we've been, there's, we do, we, we're, we're specialized, I guess you could say, you know, I, I, John preaches, then I edit the video and make sure I take out the dumb remarks that he tells me to. Um, <laughs> no, I, actually, I never do. He's always like, he's always like in the middle of the sermon, he goes, take that out of the video. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's going to take way too much effort. So it's always left in, but yeah, you know, we, we kind of, him and I are the only full-time, but we have another four part-time pastors at the church. Um, so him and I, we have a lot of responsibilities between, you know, plunging toilets and painting walls and visiting hospitals and whatnot. So. Gotcha. And, and uh, one last question before we have some fun with playing with stereotypes. Um, Great. How long have you been a pastor? Um, let's see. I want to say officially a pastor since I was 21. So six years now. So officially meaning you had some sort of license with the, the denomination? Yeah, yeah. I've been a licensed minister and I've been paid in some capacity. But I've been doing ministry since I was 16 in, in some way, whether it was going to church camps or uh, being an intern um, with my mom. My mom's a pastor. My grandpa was a district superintendent. I mean, this is just, oh, man. it was in my blood. So I had one choice was to be a pastor. The other one was to be a preacher. So, you know. <laughs> You're basically Naz royalty, it sounds like. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, I'm a prince, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. As you may be aware, Trevor, we know you've heard this show once or twice before. We like to have some fun uh, with some stereotypes. As Will likes to remind me, he used my words against me, people have names, but we like to label things. So to confront some <laughs> of that nonsense, we're going, to, we're going to play a game called How Millennial Are You? Are you ready? I am so ready. Are you so excited for this? I'm the most excited I've ever been. I've been studying, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the deal, though. Uh, we kind of warned you before the show. We're going to change the formatting of this a little bit. Instead of running through 10 uh, insulting questions, Byron's going to lead off with one of the questions. We're going to give you a couple questions. Then we're going to jump into some different uh, types of how millennial are you questions that, that go from really petty, silly, stereotypical to a little less petty, stereotypical to, no, for real, like, What's going on in the church with this stereotype generational divide stuff? So, I like it. Sound, I like it. Sound fun? Yep. Let's do it. All right, Byron, you're up. All right. First question. Have you ever ruined Disneyland or Disney World by visiting without a child? Um, I didn't go to Disneyland until I was 18. So, yes, because it was <laughs> me. <laughs> it was my senior yep. year of high school, and I went with the show choir. So... Yeah, my, my jazz fingers are, are popping. <laughs> well, did, did you hear the, the news article? Or did, I mean, maybe you read or you heard on the news. People were making a huge deal about all these 20-something-year-olds going to Disneyland without children and how they That's were right. ruining it for their kids or whatever. It's the worst experience ever. I, I will never go on It's a Small World ever again without a kid. <laughs> that's accurate we were writing on it when i was a child my parents brought me on it and it, we broke down so like that song was <laughs> oh, just, no. just on and on oh god yeah, it never it, it seemed like it never ended it was really rough like i honestly got to the point where we weren't sure how long we were on the ride because it just started getting loopy yeah what year is it yeah who knows <laughs> it's a small world after all 
but all right cool i guess you like to ruin disneyland since you know millennials ruin things that's the stereotype we like to ruin all the things um speaking of ruining things uh this is the next question it has to do with maybe ruining some stuff but i'll ask it in a much more pinpointed way trevor why do you want to take beef and straws away from everybody you socialist (laughs) save the turtles man first and foremost because straws are the only thing that is harming the environment um yeah about beef that's my wife me and my wife have beef right now because she's an episcopalian and i'm not so (laughs) yeah Yeah. So you you still eat beef i do i i might have had beef for lunch i'm not gonna lie yeah i might have as well yeah well obviously we get lumped in with the the first uh whatever senators congresswomen congressmen that are millennials like for the first time millennials can be in in congress now right and so not and it's not just them that are saying it but obviously we get we get the uh the label of ruining things because we want to take everyone's beef and straws away Mm -hmm. so because we also love socialism i guess even though like (laughs) the oldest guy running in the race is the most socialist, whatever. We're not even going to get into all that stuff. Way to ruin (laughs) things, Trevor. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) All right. So this one we bring up a lot just because it's like one of the main things people talk about millennials, but how much money do you spend on coffee and avocados a week? Hmm. So I was trying to do the math on this one earlier, just just in (laughs) case you guys asked this. And we're we're really good now because we don't we don't get our coffee out we just grind it at home, um, so we're I guess that makes us even more millennial because we buy wholesale beans, mm, grind them single ourselves. source, all yeah, you know all this stuff, yeah. Um, so probably, you know, we haven't bought avocados in a while. I would say no more than ten dollars a week. We probably buy a wow. bag a week. I know, but we drink a lot of coffee because you think about a whole <laughs> bag of beans, it's a lot of coffee. Are you the Walter White of brewing, though? Do you have, like, a cabinet dedicated just to your coffee-making accoutrement? Uh, it's growing, yes. Yeah, the Chemex <laughs> is coming. So, <laughs> Okay, so I've actually been told, some of our listeners, like, we don't even, you're speaking a different language. Please explain briefly what the Chemex is and what it does, just for our listeners. So it's just, a, it's, I, I haven't bought it yet. Well, I mean, we haven't got it, got it yet, so it's... In my, and what I understand it to be, it's a pour over coffee in a chemistry jar. And so it's supposed to, the aeration is supposed to be different. It's supposed to bring out flavors and notes that you didn't necessarily know over a typical, you know, pot of coffee. That's my understanding. My favorite is French press. That's where I always go to is a French press. So I don't actually know. I just think, you know, if I keep growing the collection, I can reach out to that next generation even better. So. So, get it. So, out of three, those are the only really snidey, stereotypical questions we're going to ask you, Trevor. Okay. I, I, what do you think, Barnes? He two for three? I think so. I mean, because he eats beef, and uh, I guess I don't know. He didn't say if he used straws, but I, I guess he's at least two for three because he went to Disneyland technically as an adult without children. Well, I guess we could clarify this: uh, if you do use a straw, is it a reusable straw or a plastic straw that you can throw <laughs> yeah, away? Exactly. Oh, gets really um, deep. Yeah, I don't. I don't carry a straw with me. Um, you know. Oh not, yeah. Yeah, my students do. Uh, they they mm. they keep harping on me about how I need to get with it, and mm. I don't. I don't because I'm not lit, fam. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah. you hate the planet because you want to use plastic straws. <laughs> I, so. I must. It must be it's, my, it's... my conservative roots, I guess. 
it's one or the other. There's no middle ground for any of these things, obviously. Oh, so. uh, yes. <laughs> so, okay, two for three. Maybe you're a millennial. I mean, we didn't we, – we saved some of these questions. We, we could have asked you about participation trophies or living in your grandmother's basement or, or whatever, but we're going to shift gears, actually, and instead of asking you those questions, we're going to see how woke or lit, fam, you are <laughs> with, uh, with a – figure out which is the real headline. Oh, uh, yes. Okay, let's do this. I'm ready. <laughs> have you been – okay. Did you do homework on this? Have you been reading millennial headlines? Are you a little bit aware of what's uh, been published recently? I do read Twitter quite often. I've been on the Explore Yikes. page more more in the past month than I have typically. I don't know if subconsciously <laughs> I was just like, I have to be ready for this. i got to be the winner. Um, oh, you, guys, you guys are mailing me that trophy in the mail, right? The, <laughs> the, br- the, the, yeah, the bronze avocado. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you. I'm glad. Just making sure. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give you three headlines, and then we're going to see which one's real based on your deductive reasoning. You ready? All right. Headline one, millennials believe they'll die before they retire. That's uplifting. Headline (laughs) number two, millennials seem all too comfortable with socialism. Yet another comforting headline. Headline number three. Amazon Prime pricing structure based on average millennial income. Oh, man. (laughs) These all sound like so legit. (laughs) That's the point. (laughs) I'm going to – just because I I do follow tech quite well, and I have not heard anything about the Amazon price structure. I might be completely wrong here, but that's, that's what I'm sticking with. Final answer, Amazon pricing structure. You think that's the one? Yes. Okay, but before we reveal it, I, I want to hear your reasoning, your rationale. Well, I mean, I just I have I have yet to see anything about Amazon laying out. I mean, I know that there's like your student discount and then your typical one that most people pay pay for, but unless it's something brand new, I have I just have not seen any tech news on Amazon. And again, I'm a new father, so maybe that's the reason why. <laughs> and well, well I- to to be a hundred percent honest, I started playing World of Warcraft again. I know. <laughs> that might be why. That might Got be it. So, wait, so you, you think the Amazon one is the the right one? It's the real one. It's, no, it's fake. That one's okay. Fake that's one. why. There's two fake I, ones I, and one oh, real one. Oh, there's two so. fake ones. No way. I think. Yeah. No, no, so you real. have to pick. You have to pick the real one. Sorry. Oh my I, gosh. So okay. you're right though. That Amazon one's fake. If you want to play okay. it a different way well, and try to eliminate the other I fake am. one, then then get it. So at, you're right. That Amazon is one of the fake ones though. So so far so good. Oh, man. Okay, that makes me feel better. Now I'm torn because I thought the other two were 100% real. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to hear them again? I think it's the first one. I think it's the first one because I, I think I've seen the, the socialism one somewhere. Or it, may, it, it might be a, an Onion article, but I think that's what it is. <laughs> so you think the first one is fake? I think the first one... Oh, sorry. I'm still eliminating them. I think the first one is real. No, I don't know. The first one is fake. The socialism <laughs> one is real. And the last one, Amazon one, is fake. That's that's it. Final answer. Okay. So why do you think the socialism one is real? Well, aren't you guys socialists too? Oh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah. of course we are. I, I mean, mean, I want to be Canadian. So, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, basically, I don't, I don't want anything of mine to stay my own. I want everyone to have all of the things. So. That's right. That is exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. if they have a lot of my money, they get a lot of my problems too, right? That's how that works, right? <laughs> more yeah. money, it's sharing more everything. That's right. Like oh, you, you get my money, but also all of my issues. So I mean, if we could share student <laughs> debt with the people, Amen. that that would be. I'm yeah, I would do that, that in a heartbeat. I'm not gonna lie. 
So, Trevor, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but you're wrong. Oh. So, I'm sure there's something about millennials and socialism. I'm sure there's something that might be, like, close to that. And poss- that it means very possible. But this was based on stuff that came out today. Oh. Um, so, so basically, nothing else today said anything about socialism. So, if you find another one down the road, we'll just say you, you get it. You won this one. But the one that just came out today was from Yahoo Finance. And it says that millennials literally believe they'll die before they retire. And it all has to do with the financial uh struggles that millennials have and you know student debt and cost of living and oh is there another recession great i heard someone say great a recession sandwich my favorite like so so so, it's good to have humor when you can't afford to eat amen yeah (laughs) but anyways if you find something even remotely close to that one then then we we were too tricky so we'll give it to you give me two minutes on fox news i might get it (laughs) all right well you look at that up and we're gonna start asking so here's here's the new thing we're gonna introduce today and byron's gonna start off with the question but we actually want to have more realistic questions excellent that have to do with a generational divide particularly within the church. So we want to ask some real questions about what it's like to be a young pastor, especially if you're in a church that has multi-generational representation. Or maybe you're like some of us where you start off pastoring in a place where it's only people that are a lot older than you and kind of the interesting uh, struggles that 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 affords you, I guess we could say. So while you're Google searching, I guess you can multitask (laughs) and Byron's going to ask the first question. All right. So how often have you been told by the church, and that's kind of in quotes, um, not yet, or you're not ready, or, well, when you get older, you will realize blank, you know, like, you'll figure it out one day, but right now, you're just too young and dumb. Mm. Uh, far too often. <laughs> and Well, I, I, I just joked about it this week. I said, you know, in two and a half years, I'll be 30, and then I'll get it, right? And the staff meeting kind of erupted in laughter, and I wasn't joking. <laughs> so is there is there a preconception or is there just kind of this assumption out there that once you reach a certain age not only are you mature enough to be taken more seriously but have you are you like maybe me and byron having the same experience where there's also this assumption that oh don't even think about becoming a lead pastor until you're this old mm-hmm. oh absolutely like the i started pastoring single and so i was a single man living in a way too expensive apartment and then people are talking about, oh, when you get married, things will change. And I got married and then people said, oh, when you have kids, things will change. And now we have a kid and I don't know. I don't know the next step. It's uh, yeah, I, I what's funny is I think I hear it more from people who aren't um, leaders necessarily. They're just kind of your your average churchgoer who it's, it's their perception of the church. But um, what's funny is my my senior pastor is not the one who has said those things. Um, well, good. But we can go into that later. <laughs> so so do you think uh, there's an age that they're this age and older that is the most uh, readily – they're going to say these things to you the most often? Is there like a group that at this age and above you're more likely to hear that then? Absolutely, yeah. Um, they, my parents' my parents' generation and above. So um, that edge of the boomer and up – is the ones I hear from the most, but there's also those people who are just over that 75 who are just the most supportive, loving people in the world. And you can do the dumbest thing ever in there. Go, uh, it's just cause you're young and we'll keep loving you. And so it's this weird, it's this weird mix of, uh, that's amazing. You know, I've get, I get 
you know, one person that sits on the left side of the church that'll tell me I'll get it later. And then the person who sits on the right side of the church, who's a year or so younger or older than them will, will come alongside me and will love me and take care of me. And won't even, won't even, you know, quote whatever, what I said, or, you know, talk about what I did that was wrong. Just we'll say, Hey, that's a learning step and we'll go to the next, the next place. So I don't know. It's very interesting. Um, I've experienced the exact same thing. I think it's awesome that you articulated it like that because some of the oldest people in my congregation um, are the most supportive. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I would have assumed that going into it. So, all right, well, sorry, I, I kept asking questions, but I have a, another question that's kind of a, a, a similar vein, but generally curious about generational divides. <clears throat> how often do you come against the age old? Well, this is how we have always done it. And what generally happens with that conversation? Um, you know, we're, we're finally breaking that mold at my church now. I feel like it's the, you know, where, where I'm at Tempe, we, we're not necessarily a historic church by any means, but we did things one way for a long time and people wanted those things to be done the same way. And times change and it, it's good to have, you know, a leader who understands the value of what was the past, but also sees the future. He might not execute it all the time, but he sees the future. And so it hasn't been so recent, but definitely my first couple of years was, well, this is how we do it. I said, well, okay. <laughs> Byron, how often did you come against that? All the time. Um, because a lot of the groups, the youth groups and stuff that I led, um, they didn't, they didn't have a pastor before me, or it was like a part-time person who like, I replaced a lot of people who weren't trained, I guess is one way to say it. Didn't have a lot of experience. They kind of did it their way. And I came in and, and people would be like, oh, well, we never did like that before. And I said, yeah, I know that, but this is how mm-hmm. we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And then they just look at you like, but that's not how we did it before. <laughs> it's great. I'm like, yeah, but I'm in charge now. I'm the one who wants to, this is how I do it. This is my style. And. <laughs> The other way wasn't bad necessarily, but this is how I operate. And like, so I had with parents and some, some kids too, but like, just to explain like, yeah, I get that that's how things used to be, but I'm not doing it that way because that's not my strength. That's been the easiest way for me to explain to people why I make changes. Like that wasn't my personality. That's not how I do things. I, I just, I can't pull that off. So this is how I operate. And Mostly they understand that, um, but I didn't make sweeping decisions that would change. Like, I mean, I've been in churches where they changed like how worship went, and that was always interesting. They're like, "We've always done it this way." Like, no, you've been doing it that way for like six years. That's not always, and then they they don't really understand that. That's kind of interesting too. Well, so, I think there's an interesting shift that's taking place that forces this question and. The reason I, I picked, I, I mean, Byron, we joke a lot about this crap, right? Like, you're the talent and I'm the whatever. I, I don't know yeah, no, I'm, for real. I do very little work on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, so, I mean, I get asked some questions occasionally, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we should do this way. Or let's, like, I do some brainstorming, but so, this side is most of the, like, the heavy lifting for sure. Byron, Byron gives feedback, and I get lots of people's opinions on what we should talk about and, and what we should uh, ask, but... Truly, there's a lot that's going on in church culture right now, um, and particularly with people like you, Trevor, where, I mean, you know, we're, we're near the same age, so we have a lot of the similar experiences. But truly, I, I, and it's hard, it's really hard to find really concise statistics on this, but I think most people in Protestant circles, mainline especially, would say 
yeah, we might be closing more churches than we're opening, or we might have dwindling numbers, or what used to happen in the 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever is not happening now. So truly, I think a lot of churches are being confronted with the reality that's undeniable that how it's always done, been done, doesn't work now. So it's just kind of a curious spot to be at where sometimes the pastor has to take the brunt of the, well, yeah, maybe it's not my skill set. Maybe it's not how I would do it. Maybe it's not. But I think sometimes I'm starting to have conversations where basically the the paradigm is shifting and it's more of a, well, that obviously doesn't work anymore. So what are we going to do instead? It's just an interesting thing because I think if we don't have those conversations well, or if we, I don't know, if we do it in a prideful, spiteful way, well, you're old and I'm fresh and young or whatever. It's like, that's not going to, it's not going to go over super well. But if we have these conversations in a, you know, strategic way um, where we kind of discuss tactics or whatever about how to continue to preach the same message, but in a way that is much more uh, up with the 21st century cultures, those can be very meaningful things that some of these young pastors that we like to have on the show can really help the church navigate. And that's kind of, that's, I guess, my hope. That's why I ask questions like that. So, Well, Josiah, to, be, to clarify my answer, too, I was doing that by saying it was my style because there's a lot of churches I went to where, like, they would do stuff. And I'm like, this is not effective or useful. That's why it wasn't my style, though. Like, like the oh, things they continually did, I'm like, this isn't – that doesn't work anymore. So I stopped doing them right away. And well, I'm like, just assuming oh. – I'm making the – I'm making the speculation that even a couple of years ago, that's what you had to say. But I'm saying no, yeah, there are some I'm churches saying. Like, now. I, I'm saying there's some churches now where you don't even have to say that. You yeah. can just say, yeah, that doesn't actually work anymore. And I think there's enough just evidence or experiential awareness of, yeah, that might be true. Shoot. But yeah. What were you going to say, Trevor? Were you going to add something to that? Um, No, I think you guys covered it. I was thinking, just thinking about how it's – it's interesting how so many so many people have this mindset of it worked for us. Why why can't it work for you? And they're not even willing to consider that. I mean, this generation of students uh, is completely different from even I I graduated ten years ago. It's not even that long ago, and these kids are dealing with things that are totally different than anything I would have ever dealt with just ten years ago. So. Doesn't it make you feel old? <laughs> a little bit, sometimes. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, like, one of the things I ran into a lot with ministry, too, is I had parents asking me, like, how do we handle things like Snapchat? Mm. And I went, you know what? I have no idea because that wasn't a thing when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I can't even grasp the idea of, like, how much – like, we had phones, not everybody, but, I mean, and there were, like, inappropriate things sent back and forth through text and all that sometimes – but I had a Nokia um... brick, you know, like (laughs) I didn't have a smartphone. The internet was not in my pocket. It's a very different situation now. And when they asked me, I went, you know what? I'm going to have to spend some time really thinking about this and praying about it. Cause I don't know what you should do as a parent, because that was not, my parents never had to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I I don't have experience parenting that or being parented with that. So it's like a, the world is very different from just the, the short time ago that we were in high school. Mm-hmm. So just terrifying. Cause I have a couple children that are going to be growing up in some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. All 45 of those kids are going to go to high school someday. Oh my Atlanta. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Minus 
41. But yes, you're you're right, Byron. That's Accurate. still a lot, though. If you take 41 Absolutely. out of 45, that's still a lot of kids. Oh my goodness, it is. It's <laughs> it's a lot. And my daughter started kindergarten today, and I'm already stressing oh, about right. that stuff. How'd that go? <laughs> Caitlin cried. Did she? Did, what did your together. daughter get in a fight or anything? No, she didn't. She good for seemed her. like she, she's maturing. She was good. Huh? Oh my goodness. I love. Anyways, she's my favorite. Moving moving right along. <laughs> All right, Trevor, we like to also ask uh, questions of every guest, and we did this with Cassidy, who was our nun slash dun. I guess he would be more considered a dun um, than a nun. Um, And if you want to know the difference between those two, go listen to that episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also asked uh, Ron, our seasoned saint, some of these questions as well. And it's because we think it's really interesting to see the different perspectives on what we're going to be talking about when we talk about it. So. Byron, lead us. So, yeah. So, as always, we're going to start with the very basic but very important question of, in your own words, what is the church? Um, I think it's a community of people who not only believe but act on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Um, simply put, that's what it is. Yes, there's a building sometimes. Yes, there is all of those other things that we associate with church, but at the core of it, I believe it's this community first that, that believes and acts on what Jesus called us to do. So much more of an emphasis on people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually so, I like the way you worded that. Cause that is different. Almost everybody has said it's a group of people. Um, but you went a little further and said that actually not just believes, but also acts on the words and teachings of Christ. That's more specific in a very good way, I think. Like, they can't just say, oh, yes, I believe this. They have to actually, it has to have show fruit in their life, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I think it's, I, I mean, I think that's scripturally based with, you know, the fruits of the spirit. If you're going to believe these things, you should be moved to do them. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. but, I, you know, we, there's so many, I, you know, listening to Cassidy's episode, I, I get it. There's so many different models of church and, you know, you can go from Westboro all the way to your home church and see a billion different types. And so church is very uh, fluid per se. Yeah. Well, and we can't seem to agree on the right type of church, which is why I, I still trying to figure it out. I don't think anyone has done research like this, but I'm pretty sure our country has the most denominations in the world. Yeah, I believe that. Well, even so, we we did a little study, and there's 9,500 Christian churches in Phoenix alone. Um, Holy cow! Yeah, so there's a there's a couple million people here. That's not that's yeah. not including Mormons or Jews. That's Christian churches. There's 9,500 churches, physical buildings within that's, Phoenix geez. alone. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So, okay, next question for you then, Trevor. <laughs> Why are you still a part of it? Or maybe coupled with that, have you ever thought about leaving? Yeah, there's definitely been moments in in the past 15 years that I've thought I could leave this organization known as the church uh, and go be it much better, you know? Um, But the reason I stick around is because I realize if I leave and if I leave the, the church as I know it now and as many people do, um, I will never be able to have those opportunities or conversations. And it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm struggling now with this. Um, should I even be paid to, to do the job I have? Obviously, I need to support my family. But, um, you know, the, the disciples weren't. Um, Jesus wasn't. And so how do I effectively do my job? 
Um, and so that that's kind of where I'm wrestling now. I'm, I'm, I talk back and forth with my mentor, Will, about it. And um, yeah, just this interesting, I'm not going to leave anytime soon um, because I think that the church still has a lot of good things coming and and I want to be a part of that. But I also want to show people what that looks like. Who's your mentor? What's their full name? Uh, Will Hathaway. I don't know if you know him. He's also a pastor at Tempe. Uh, he's part-time and he's a full-time SWAT negotiator. He's actually the lead, wow. the lead negotiator in the state of Arizona. So the FBI comes and learns from him. Uh, so wow. he's a great guy to just listen and talk to. Um, he's, he's continuing to encourage me to go find a full-time job elsewhere so that I can speak with the spirit leads on to me without having to worry about losing a job. So <laughs> that's curious. Yeah. yeah. That, that does put you in a different space because yeah, I mean, there I've been to a couple churches where people will leverage the financial side of things against pastors mm-hmm. and that doesn't always end well. It's sad that that's a reality. So mm-hmm. yeah. Will's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I know, I, I know super you know jealous that you have like an awesome mentor. I never really had a good mentor when I was in ministry, at least not one that was close. Mm-hmm. I had people I could call, um, yeah. people I could talk to, but like having someone that close and actually spend time with and yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I like Will a lot. Next question. Is it me or you? Brian? Oh, it's me. Sorry. That's my bad. Um, okay. So we talked about <clears throat> what the church is and, you know, clearly there's some issues based on your answer of thinking about, you know, points you've been talking thinking about leaving. But um, what do you think desperately needs to be fixed? I don't know if it'll ever be fixed, but it's the perception of the church. I think if, if we can kind of create this new perception of church, when people come forth and they're hurt by it, um, they might not leave so quickly. Um, and, you know, we hear it all the time, how, how this church hurt me or this person in power hurt me. And that's why I don't go here or there, or that's why I'm not a believer anymore. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, that's, I say that word a lot. I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. I just think if we can change the perception of church to where people can come and know that the pastor, the staff, the people who look like they have it together might hurt me. Um, not that that gives us an excuse to do it, um, but just coming in with that kind of grain of salt so that we can give grace um, as well as receive it. That would totally change how the church operates again within this community. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much, but I think, with at least within my my small group of students that I work with that's really what I'm trying to to help fabricate with them is you know you can come as you are you can cuss me out on a Wednesday night if you need to because you're stressed out and that's fine because I want you here and you have value and you are you are important you know and I think that needs to we have to change the perception of the church to be able to come and do that because most of us would probably say we couldn't cuss in church <laughs> I've cussed in church before. <clears throat> I got in trouble, but I, I shame got, on you. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I might have actually too, in a sermon. Um, I've gotten. In, oh, I never did in a sermon, but I did when I was in high school. I did once a couple times, mainly because my brother was a jerk. Not Will, by the way, the other one, the one who won't defend himself in this podcast. Cause I would be um, no, oh but well, you were there for some of those, Josiah. Like you, yes. And uh, Jason, yes, our youth pastor, had to deal with them and deal with those situations i mean and he usually handled it pretty threats. well there were threats leveled at one another it was pretty 
raucous at times. I remember but... one time on a quiz trip, we got in a fight, almost in a like a legit fist fight in a McDonald's. <laughs> and there was someone sitting True between story. us, and Pete said something. And I literally stood on the bench and I almost punched him in the head. I was so mad. And I don't remember how that ended, but someone took me outside and I calmed down. <laughs> Our youth group often involved sweating or blood. So we had a lot fun. of siblings in our youth group throughout, like the time from when we Josiah and I were like in sixth or seventh grade to when we graduated, and there there was a lot of violence between brothers in our youth group over the years. So yeah, that was kind of a commonplace thing in our youth group, actually. <laughs> Not just my family. I mean, Josiah's too a little bit towards the end because his one of his brothers finally came into the youth group, but like before us, there was I, I can think of. At least another set of brothers who got in fight, like a fist fight one time during quiz practice. It was actually hilarious. Yeah, pretty great. Um, they jumped, like one just jumped across the room and punched the other. It was so funny. Um, <laughs> their mom was our coach too. That was the best part. She was so mad. But <laughs> anyways, I, well, actually, there actually is a point to that, though, which is weird. Um, the church needs to find ways to understand that people aren't perfect mm-hmm. and that we have real lives. And one of the best ways to do that is when you deal with kids. When you see siblings just bicker and fight and literally get in fist fights, you go, huh, things aren't perfect in church all the time. We should probably find ways to show people that you don't have to be perfect to be here. Yep. Um, That's a problem we do. I I like your answer. Like perception is an issue. And the only way we'll ever change that, which we'll never change it totally because we can't change how people see us. But we need to find ways to be the body and just say, hey, we love you. You're not perfect, but we want to help you and be there for you because Christ was there for us. Yep. So give that gift free that we've been given. And it's I mean, it's going to take generations, honestly. But we have to just be willing to deal with that and tell people we love them even if they're not perfect. Yeah, I like that that idea of we need to – I don't know. We need to have better PR in, in a way. <laughs> like That's almost what it seems like to me where, you know – you hear it all the time. Like there's, there's age old quotes and, you know, Gandhi wasn't a perfect dude. There's plenty of skeletons in his closet, but he had a quote that I always hated and loved at the same time. He said, I love your Jesus, but your Christians are nothing like your Jesus. And so that was always something that was frustrating for me to be like, yeah, it's kind of true. Um, a little too often. That's, that's not the case. And, you know, Jesus would always say stuff about, they will know you're my followers by the way you love, like you're going to be known by being a follower of me because of how loving you are. And that's a thing that, that would be uh, really cool if that was the case. But I think far too often we're known by other things, which is kind of why we wanted to have this whole multi-perspective guest uh, rotation on, on this long form version of our podcast. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you've listened to the Cassidy one since I asked you to do it. Right. (laughs) Right. Trevor. Yeah, I, I got I, I listen to both. Uh, actually, I know Ron as well, so it was, it was kind of fun listening to him for a bit. Ron is literally a saint. Like season saint is li- like he literally is a saint. But but if you guys if if our listeners haven't heard the cast of the episode, just the briefest of explanations, you should go and listen to it because we're going to talk about it more and kind of hear Trevor's uh thoughts and reactions to it but basically basically Cassidy grew up in the church and not only did he grow up in it, he was fully possibly going to become a pastor um didn't end up doing that but was a regular church attender was on the board a friend of mine i met him on a missions trip but at some point he stopped going had to do with his friend 
who uh, was a transgendered individual who did not feel like they were welcomed into faith communities, could not be a part of the church. And his friend M died and in his own words, looking for a place to, to fit in, to belong um, because the church wasn't a place that, that his friend could fit into. So uh, needless to say, he had a lot of confliction with that. He didn't like that. He has a lot of questions anyways, a lot of things that he ponders and, we we heard about all of that stuff in his in his interview, which was just, you know, at times gut wrenching, at other times we laughed. But there was a lot to that um, dialogue, and it's really curious because these are people that are close to our age, and we I, I would have to say I've experienced a lot of similar things as Cassidy, um, but you know we're still friends, and I think that's a really meaningful thing. But I think we have to be honest with ourselves, and it kind of goes back to the question Byron initially asked you. Like there's obviously some stuff we need fixing and you had a brilliant answer for that. So, um, but before we dive into the, what, what, I guess, what do you have to say about how the church could fix some of those things? Like just, just off the bat, like, what did you think of that, that interview? What did you think of Cassidy's story? You know, similar to what you just said, I mean, my heart broke um, about halfway through when Cassidy started talking about his friend. Um because that's that's my my life right now. I, I live and work with these students who are in the same boat um, that you know they they're identifying non-binary or they think you know they're not sure if they're they're gay or straight you know and they're struggling with these things and I mean literally last night Wednesday night we're done with church and I'm set I'm tearing down all the lights and my laptop and this kid pulls me aside and he goes I just need to talk to you. And like, this is like my every day, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I, I get it. Uh, Cassidy, if you're listening, I get it. I get it, man. Um, in my opinion, I think even though he might not go to a physical building, that he is still a part of this community within the church. You know, it sounds to me like he, he loves like Jesus does. Right. Yeah. Um, might not, might not fit the, the box that we, we like to put those people in, but um, from, from what I heard, you know, his heart and his, his passion and, you know, his jokes and, and humor. I mean, he's still as much a part of the church as I am, I think. And, you know, I don't know him, so I need to have a conversation first and figure that all out. <laughs> but, but just from the interview and from all the stuff you discussed, I mean, I get that. And it, my heart breaks all the time um, because that's, I, you know, with I working with the students, but I'm two blocks away from Arizona State University. Um, and so I literally see these people all the time that are just longing for community and love. Um, and I'm like, it's right here. <laughs> like, it's right here. Just knock on the door. Or, you know, I should probably go out there and buy more lunches, I guess. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty, uh, big ask to get him to even share some of those stories. Right. Because I mean, he, I talked to him a lot about it. It was great. We talked afterwards. There was definitely some anxiety and some stress because he was kind of bearing all and saying some stuff. He was worried some people would get upset with him about. Um, I think that's the, exactly what you're addressing that, that church has some, some issues with how people perceive it, but some of it's really well earned. Um, And I think what he was concerned about some of his anxiety was rooted in a very real fear that there's some of that established church mentality that 
those things are not acceptable. That doesn't belong. And, and that's not even necessarily the conversation that Cassidy was trying to have. He wasn't trying to argue certain types of rights or whatever. He was just trying to simply say this person didn't feel like they could even walk through the doors without mm-hmm. being uh, chased out of the building. So that's an interesting segue that we have been playing with, with why we asked uh, Ron to be on the show, because there's two pieces to this puzzle that, that seems to be kind of a never ending cycle in the life of the church where young seems pitted against old and old doesn't want things to change. And young wants to change everything and yada, yada, yada. But then you get a guy like Ron who seems to be this uh, saving grace uh, seasoned saint that wants to do nothing but equip people like us to be able to navigate and, and work through successfully some of these really interesting uh conversations in in ministerial uh context or or whatever you want to call it but so you also listen to ron what what are your thoughts on on people like ron we need more of them (laughs) uh what's what's funny is though i i have people in my own community at tempe that are the rons for me you know there's sally bells and mike nyes and these people who and i don't i don't know what is different like how they just seem to get it you know like Uh ron just seem seems to understand where we're at and he's you know 30 40 i don't know how old ron is not not gonna lie but you know he's 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 over 70 so he's he's 60 years older than i am um you know but he can he can empathize with me and maybe that that's what it is is empathy the ability for people in the church, both young and old, because I think we need to check ourselves as as the younger generation to empathize with those who are older and are retiring or, and are, don't have the, the normal um, in their life like we do. We have the routines. And so they want church all the time and they want their hymns because that's what they used to have. And so it's this kind of, I, I think all of us, not, I think the majority, I should say, of church, both on the young and the old side, we're all on the same page. Um, we're just in different paragraphs. And sometimes we need to look up from our books and realize, Oh, we're all the same. We're all part of the same club here, you know, um, and just be able to empathize with one another. And I think that could really help change some things. And of course we're going to have those people who are just so ingrained in this is how it was. This is how it needs to be. And if, if you disagree with me, you're wrong, <laughs> you know, and, I can't change them. Uh, there's nothing that I can do or say other than love them that will change them. So it's interesting. I appreciate Ron and we need that. We need more of, we need more of those guys. See, there's, gals. there's yeah, absolutely. I have, I have a couple female mentors that have been some pretty epic uh, truth speakers into my life that I value highly. Um, but you spark something in your, in your response. You know, I, I find it very interesting. Uh, this the cycle of old versus young plays out indefinitely but i also think that sometimes we overreact against it as well and that's what you see happening a lot of times in some of our churches and you can just see it by the the demographics so you can have the stereotypical gray-haired church right the people the church that's just 60 and 60 and older 60 years old and older and they don't have any young people and there's maybe a whole host of reasons why but then you also sometimes have the 40 and under church and they don't have any of those seasoned saints that that help ground them and help mentor and speak into them from from a place of experience and wisdom 
And I guess what I overly optimistically, possibly my hope is that, you know, the intergenerational intentionality of, of some of these young pastors coming up through the ranks could help marry those two worlds together so that the Cassidy's and the Ron's because of the Trevor's could actually make the church even better. And maybe that's real pie in the sky. <laughs> I don't know. But what what is your sense on some of that stuff? Do you think there's some young people out there that are starting to realize that they're kind of the bridge builders because they grew up in the church and they totally, they, they can, they actually have the capacity to understand maybe where, where Ron's generation is coming from, where, where the older generations are coming from. But since they also live in the 21st century uh, in a way that maybe some of those older generation generational people don't like they're they're literally creating bridges between people they are the bridge themselves you know i it's funny i think maybe maybe i'm just uh you know privileged with the situation i'm in currently but out in the east valley of phoenix where where the nine nazarene churches reside that we're a part of we've all gathered together uh, as young uh, associate pastors and youth pastors and begun um, sharing life and starting a, an event on the second Wednesday every month called um, um, Critical Mass. And we, um, I think we, we've forced ourselves, because we meet together so often, to have these discussions more regularly. Um, and then realize that we can't just have this echo chamber of discussion, which is comfortable, but it's it's not appropriate when we're trying to um, grow the church. And so we've forced ourselves to meet with um, Dave Charlton and Doug Pierce. He's our district superintendent. These, these gentlemen um, that are, you know, 20, 30 years our senior and ask them these questions that we're, we're dealing with and hear their responses, even if they differ from us. Um, and so I think my small group, and again, it's only like six or seven guys, um, but we've really pushed ourselves to be and I, I wouldn't necessarily say that we're the bridges. Maybe we are. That's not how I've seen it. But just this um, peacemakers more than anything. To We work with our students and they like us, but then trying to explain, hey, those people that we sit in front of and we, um, you know, are on our phones too much in church, they care about us and they love us just as much as I do and just as much as Ryan does or Sean or any of these other guys. And um, I don't know. I think I can do better. I know that. But yeah. I think that we're, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm blessed right now. And it's not just because of my doing by any means, like the six or seven of us have really pushed each other to continue, you know, our studies and, and to be with one another. And, you know, there are moments in time when you want to go solo and mope in your own corner. <laughs> um, but yeah. when you have that, when you have that community, um, they can shine a light in that corner and it's hard to hide, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I guess when I, when I say bridge builder, what I'm kind of maybe alluding to is you can empathize in a way with some of these young people or with maybe even like me, you know, I can empathize with my friend Cassidy. Um, mm -hmm. And that creates kind of a unique connection that the church doesn't always have, but it's because of, you know, just my age, perhaps, but sometimes that can also put you in dicey situations, perhaps, mm -hmm. you know, so I find myself Maybe, maybe it's just me. I say that a lot. Um, but sometimes I find myself saying stuff or caring about stuff. And I wonder, man, did I just say too much? Am I the only one? Mm. 
uh, I don't know. It just because there's oftentimes where in in a in just because I have these friendships and these relationships, obviously uh, that bursts my little hedge of protection Christian bubble a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> For real. Oh. Um, one of I, again, I don't know. Maybe I uh, I have a maybe we can go into it later. If not, you guys can follow me on the internet and I can tell my story later, but. I think God is preparing me for some big stuff in the future. Um, Cause I, I play hockey every Friday night with a bunch of roughneck guys. Like three of the guys on my team are hardcore alcoholics. They show up drunk. Um, we play at 11 in the evening. So <laughs> we're all crazy enough to get up and play. And um, you know, we're just, you know, we're roughneck guys, but I've been playing with these guys now for four years and for, the first three or four seasons, they had no idea what I did for a job until one night. Um, and this might sh- rattle the Nazarene world for a second, but one night when we were at the bar after <laughs> our game, um, we're sitting around the table and all the guys are just pounding them back and I'm sipping on my water and uh, we're uh, it, just kind of joking around. And one of the guys just goes, what in the world do you do, Trevor? And I'm like, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And literally the, the table went silent and they're like, you're what you're a pa- like, and you hang out with us. You play with like, you haven't left. Like you're still hanging out with us at 1145 on a Friday night after a sweaty hockey game. I'm like, absolutely guys. I love hockey and I enjoy hanging out with you. And it's, it's created these, these conversations and relationships with, um, you know, these 15 other guys that none of them are churched. Um, Maybe one or two of them went to church as a kid because their mom drug them, but none of them have been to church within the last five years for sure. Um, and it's been an interesting couple of years because one guy uh, out of these 15, one guy has come to church with me. Hmm. Um, but would that have ever happened if I stuck my nose in the air and said, well, I'm a Nazarene. I'm not even going to go into the bar because we don't <laughs> drink, you know, or I'm not even going to hang out with these guys because they cuss up a storm or whatever I can, we can label them and say that all the bad things they do. And if I'm not willing to humble myself and say, Hey, I've got my issues too. And that doesn't make me any better or any worse than these guys. I can sit with them, enjoy mediocre hot wings after a game (laughs) that we, I mean, we are not good hockey players. This is not the (laughs) NHL. Like if you come out to our game, you're like, do the, are these guys, well, half of the guys are drunk so that your question wouldn't be answered. Are these guys drunk? Yes. Half of them are. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I think uh, Pat, us as I, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm stereotyping pastors here, but sometimes I feel like the pastors that I've seen growing up um, were too wrapped in their pastoral position to sit in the mud um, with the normal people, you know? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then I'm going to use what you just said and also your answer earlier about what we need to change. So for us to change how we're perceived, we have to change how we act. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you about something that happened this summer. Um, I happen to know a lot about this because we actually talked about it, but like you got to preach this summer and it maybe didn't go as well as you'd hoped or there were some some people were upset. Um, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share about that and kind of what you preached and why, you know, why you felt it was important 
but it's 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 part of that issue of the way the church is perceived and how it might not be a safe place for everybody. Mm, yeah. Um, well, this July, um, my pastor went on a two week vacation and he said, Hey, Will's going to speak this week and I'd like you to speak this next week. Here's the verse. And so he gave me James chapter two, which is on favoritism or some passages like to read it as prejudice. Um, so already he's giving the millennial, uh, <laughs> a politically charged topic. Um, again, we, fun times. Uh, yeah. John, John and I have worked through this. Um, so if anybody from Tempe is listening to this, I'm not trying to dig on anyone. I'm just joking around now, but yeah, he, uh, he gave me a topic and um, at district assembly, we had a great speaker who spoke and I listened to his message and took some notes. I said, I could just kind of retell his sermon and be good. Like, you know, we copy paste sometimes as pastors because we're lazy or we don't have the time or we just thought it was good enough. Um, but two weeks before John leaves and I am utterly convicted um, about what is happening on the border. Um, of course, we li- I live in Arizona, so I'm three hours um, from um, the, the United States-Mexico border. And so it's real for me. I, I've seen these people. I, we have illegal immigrants at my church. Um, and they're some of the greatest people. Oh, I'll just say that. Um, but I was so convicted to say something about it because I began to see on our Facebook um, and through, through just conversations, I was overhearing how we had dehumanized um, immigrants both legal and illegal. And so I, I kind of started building this sermon around James chapter two. And I, I know, I know the, what it's about, like it's about, you know, rich and poor and how we shouldn't favor one over the other. But I thought, I think I can take this in a way of how we favor ourselves as Americans over all people around the world, how we say we care, we might send a, a check um, or maybe we'll send the missionary who's brave enough to go into other countries. But when those countries come here, we tend to shut down. And so I tried not to be political, but regardless, it's political. So it happened. Um, I had confidence going into it because a year ago I preached on homosexuality a little bit. Um, I kind of took a a left turn with that though and said, Hey, instead of trying to fight for the rainbow, why don't we just let them have it and love them? And that went over. Okay. I only had a three or four people mad at me. So I assumed, okay, those three or four people who are mad at me on that sermon will be mad at me at this sermon. I can take that. We'll be good. I preached the sermon and I was, I had been wrestling back and forth to kind of tell a story of that. I don't know if, if you guys saw the photo of the father who swam across the Rio Grande with his daughter and they died. Yep. Mm -hmm. Didn't like that. I saw that and my heart broke. And so I begin to think, why? And so I, I thought I can tell a story. And then of course it's not, it's not the real story because I don't know, but let me try to tell a story to humanize that person. Why would he swim across the Rio Grande with his daughter strapped to his chest? So I preached my sermon and then I told that story. And when I said, amen, and began to walk off the steps, I was yelled at like people were like, how do we fix the problem? And I'm crying because the story just ruined me. I was, my son was 
two or three months at the time. So I'm still dealing with those dad emotions. <laughs> so I probably shouldn't have told that story. I understand that now I'm willing to admit that, but <laughs> regardless it happened and I walked off the stage in tears and then I get yelled at. And because I'm a millennial, I'm a snowflake. So I started crying more. <laughs> um, it might, it might've been because my son didn't let me sleep the night before. Some, I, I'm not quite sure. And also it's July. So that means we already had camp and elevating all the crazy youth events. I shouldn't yeah. have, honestly, I probably shouldn't have preached um, because I was exhausted. And so I come, come out of that and I have never received so much backlash. And I, I assumed there was going to be some, I, I like literally had people in mind that I thought were going to be mad at me. And there was tenfold that, and people came up writing letters saying how they're leaving the church, how I should have my credentials revoked, how they're calling the DS because I'm a horrible person. I should never be a, like, I've just never been so discouraged. And uh, what's funny is Will, uh, he, him and I talked a little bit later and he said, um, if you're going to preach something like that, you shouldn't have your feelings hurt when, <laughs> when that comes back around. And I'm like, but Will, <laughs> um, he said, I, I, I misquote him, but it was something similar to that. But yeah, it was, uh, I, it was on my heart, I believe. And at the end of the day, I didn't say open the borders. I didn't say we should break all the laws. I just said that those who are coming to this country because there is hope here, we should love them. It's James chapter two, verse nine, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I don't know. I thought, I thought what I had to say was biblical and true. And obviously the majority of my, well, I wouldn't even say the majority because I definitely had a bunch of people who came and supported me after that as well. But those negative voices were just so much louder. So. Well, I, I want to add a caveat to this too. We asked you, I mean, this is like a thing that happened. It was kind of, it was a biggish deal, I guess, but like that can be discouraging. Mm. But I've listened to the sermon. I've watched it, actually. I saw the video. And I think you're correct. I think it was biblically accurate. I think it was an awesome sermon. I understand why people were so mad, because politics in our country right now are just like, we have to hate the other people. Like, anybody who thinks differently, we have to hate them. And that's how we're fueled right now, which is terrible. Um, But people need to realize, Christians in particular, need to realize that the Bible and Christ don't support one party over another. And we have to have discernment and we can't be so caught up in what it is to be an American before what it is to be a Christian. Mm. Um, And so the way people react to that is partially the huge problem of the church of like, we're, we've bought into America too much. Like, I love that we have freedom of religion that we could worship our God and freely do that. Here's the other thing, though. If we have that, so does every other religion. That's one mm-hmm. part. that Some of the Christians don't get that, and they don't like it because we're, quote, unquote, a Christian nation. But the the job of the pastor, the preacher, whoever, the, the person doing ministry is to speak truth to our world and our our worldview and what's what's going on. And people get so mad when you, you preach something like that and you go, how could you make me think about someone I don't like as a human? Mm-hmm. But then we have to remember, too, that, you know, people wanted to kill Jesus, not just the one time, not the one time they succeeded, but other times also. He got run out of his hometown because people wanted to kill him. Um, What we do as pastors to preach the the truth to people is not always popular. And honestly, it shouldn't be. Um, I think you you spoke the truth to that congregation. They didn't maybe they didn't handle it well or whatever, but. 
I hope that it resulted in somebody thinking about it later and going, you know what? Yeah, we we need to think about this stuff more. Like that, I think Will's right. <laughs> you can't have your feelings hurt, but that's tough to do, though. Like, I mean, that's, you're still a person. Yeah, you're not well, you're not just a, a talking head who can like walk away. You you know you are a person. Yeah. Um, and so it's hard when people you care about are just that rude or mean to you. Um, when what you said you believe. It's you think it's biblically accurate and true and something we should care about. There's other people, so yeah, but that uh, yeah, I totally understand all those emotions and everything. Like I've said things to people that I didn't like, and you know, it never went as far as like he should get his credentials pulled. But I've had people go after my jobs before and say, "Go to the pastor. You need to fire this person because he said something I didn't like." You know, that's just crazy to me that we get that riled up. But yeah. And I mean, but it, oh, go ahead. There, I, there's no, you're good. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot within that. And I mean, at the end of the day, there, there were some people who felt that I was attacking them and I hurt them. And so I, I, I was, I apologize and I, I'm sorry for hurting people because by no means do I ever want to hurt someone, especially from the pulpit, uh, a place of power kind of. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely there's definitely some truth to the the message of Jesus isn't always the popular one, um, and and I'm still learning that. By no means do I got it all figured out. I'm only 27. When I'm 30, I might, but you know that's a couple <laughs> years off. <laughs> when you're 30, that's when everything, all the stars align or something. You just right. your brain works better. All the things. <laughs> well, what you're talking about, Jesus, and it was in Luke four, and he's preaching in his hometown. So was it Byron or you that brought that up? It was Byron. me, Byron. I mentioned it. Oh, you, Byron, that guy. Well, um, I just want to be careful. Some people might not know our voices. You know, I know you guys know my voice, but you never know. But he goes and he drops. He, I I tell I I preached on this recently, and I told my congregation. I said he did like a mic drop, but with a scroll. <laughs> they thought that was humorous because that's my weird sense of humor. Um, but he, he he's reading and he's reading from Isaiah and uh, he's saying that you know he's sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, good news to the poor, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, all these things. And then later on, he he basically says no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then they try to kill him. So like that's the perfect metaphor for. Uh, 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 similar story to what happened to, to you, Trevor. I, that's what I see, at least, is not, people don't want to hear uh, the things that maybe they aren't doing well as it, mm. as it pertains to being the church or following Jesus. Like, no one wants to have a magnifying glass shown over that. And unfortunately, as a pastor, that's the task at hand. But in, in a similar way, the flip side of that, which I think is curious with the whole Cassidy side of things, is that sometimes that looks like not coming right out and banging people over the head and saying you sinner because for hundreds of years we didn't like this thing about how you did this thing and instead welcoming some of those people in it's a weird paradigm i i find myself struggling with sometimes because the people that jesus uh whatever you want to call it chastised or challenged the most were the people that knew better they're the ones that should have known better they're the ones that actually studied the scriptures they're the ones that were the priests the teachers of the laws they're the ones that actually studied this stuff the ones that jesus was the most patient and grace filled with were the ones that maybe didn't know better if you want to use that terminology but he was the most understanding with the people that were the ones being oppressed by that religious institution 
So sometimes you uh, find yourself maybe in positions where you feel called to shake stuff up, but this is one of those fun experiences. And I've had quite a few myself where you kind of have to weigh the, is this worth saying because it could cost me something mm-hmm. uh, debate in your head. And yeah. I mean, well, that, that was one of the things John had said. He's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta know and, and truly believe, is this something I'm worth? Is this something worth bleeding over? Um, and the more and more after him and I have discussed this and um, kind of gone through things like, yeah, this is still something that I was, I'm still willing to, you know, I think the big issue through all of this, I, I need to admit this publicly for all to hear um, because John went on vacation and I changed things. I didn't let him know beforehand. So I kind of blindsided him with this political message, even though it wasn't trying to be political. Um he was caught off guard as well. And so that, that was, that was a whole another avenue of things. And I'm wrong. I'm raising my hand right now in my empty room. I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm okay to admit that uh, but I'm learning, you know, that brings up another point though, where, I mean, you talk about loving people or freedom for the oppressed or sight for the blind, or you talk about all this stuff. I don't know if the gospel can't help, but be political sometimes. Like, I agree. I I don't know if you can do the things Jesus calls us to do without coming against the powers that be standing up to the oppressors. Sometimes I don't know if that's possible because sure, you know, people like just follow Jesus. Like Jesus was, he was going against the political power of the day. He was going to toe toe to toe with the Roman empire. That was highly political in many people's eyes. And not Mm -hmm. that that was wrong um, to, to do something political. Uh, But I, I guess I just don't know sometimes where where we strayed because i'm sure you've been told this maybe you haven't i mean i'm curious but you know you're you're always taught don't don't preach on political things that's that's sketchy don't do that i don't know if that's really a good thing to to i don't know if that's good advice because sometimes the gospel is going to get political but it's not because the gospel's at fault it's because we're doing something we shouldn't be doing yeah well there's that old quote and i don't even know if it was ever said by someone uh, famous or whatnot, or if it was just put on the internet, but that, you know, we've, we've grown to not ever speak about politics or religion and in doing that. Now it's really hard to talk about those things. Yeah. Now um, we don't know even, how. Yeah, exactly. And we can't be civil. Um, the reality is like, I think my, my father and I, we kind of have come to this, like him and I don't always see eye to eye politically on things. And I preached this message and he was there that day. And, um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I know where he stands and I think he knows where I stands, but at the end of the day, he, he loves me. Of course, because I'm his son, I think that, that has something to do with it. He doesn't but, but, have a choice. Yeah, exactly. I'm learning that right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh, man. But, but the reality is, is my dad loves me really well now. And even through that, in some eyes, in some people's eyes, they might see that sermon as a mistake and others, they might see it as needed to be said, but he didn't put he didn't put me on either side. He loved me for being Trevor, and he was proud of me for speaking. Um, and I mean, it was I remember it was Tuesday morning, and I'm still just just wrapped kind of with this. Emo- I mean, I continued to get emails and letters and texts from people that were just it was it was brutal. Um, but but he texted me, and I was kind of nervous to hear his response. But he says, "Hey, I love you. I'm proud of you. Uh, keep doing what, what God wants you to do." I'm like, man. 
thank you. Like, yeah. you didn't, you don't know how much I need that right now, Dad. So it could it, have very it's, easily it's turned into a lecture, right? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. And uh, don't get me wrong, I've had many of those uh, growing <laughs> up. I was, uh, I was, I, I don't know uh, a proper Christian word to put it, but as an eighteen to twenty-one year old, I thought I knew everything. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's just the rite of passage. I think that's what all of us do. It might, it might be. <laughs> so what's next, Trevor? I mean, we, we love hearing stories of young pastors, but we're kind of, I don't know, maybe we're trying to get all existential or something because we're trying to have a lot of interesting conversations about the state of the church now, what it once was as well, and where it's going tomorrow. You know, we got the state of the church now dissection from Cassidy. We had Ron give us kind of a flavor of this is where the church used to be. This is where it's at now. Here's some good and some bad about that. But you're the we're going into the future conversation right now. So personally, what, where do you see yourself uh, going in ministry? I mean, are you are you grinding it out or, you know, is there is there going to be a time where you just wonder? Um, but also. If you're a part of this thing for the long haul, what what are your aspirations and hopes for the church in light of some of these conversations and in light of the Cassidy story, the the Ron story? Where do you see things going? Um, what's funny is this might sound contradictory to my 9,500 churches in Phoenix, but uh, I believe that God is calling my wife and I to plant the church. Um, it's going to be in Queen Creek, so that's not Phoenix, so don't worry. I'm not going <laughs> to add another one there necessarily. <laughs> Um, but currently that is where, where God is leading us. And it's not just like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm still hurt from Tempe or I could do it better. Like that is not the, the perception at all here. We, we went through a course, this church planners course, um, this last summer, and we were given unanimous approval through our district to go. And they're like, if you want to do it tomorrow, we'll support you. And I'm like, I'm not, but thanks. <laughs> Um, but the more and more that I've been praying about it and working through it, literally within the last month, um, and this is like I was saying right at the beginning, there's some big things I think God's moving in our life right now, but within the last month, I've had four conversations, one of them being with one of my hockey teammates about this church plant, and four people have stepped up to donate some big money um, to this already, and it blows my mind because... I don't feel that I deserve it by any means. I don't think that, uh, he, I mean, my story is quite wild. I'm technically an uneducated minister. I never graduated from college. I dropped out of M&U. Oh, we totally, year. we glossed over asking you that question too. Oh. We failed, Byron. It's cool. It's cool. We can hit that. I can, I, I'll, I'll, I can segue into that and maybe we'll see. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I took a class on that. I think, um, segue 101, right. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I dropped out of school um, because finances, I mean, it was $33,000 a year to go to Mid-America. Yeah. Um, and so I had kind of a choice between staying home and getting into ministry or um, not, you know, and so I decided to stay home and I got plugged in. And within a year, I was working part time at a church and doing doing life. Um, I worked as, as foster care uh, support staff for two years and like things just continue to happen and grow. And now I'm at Tempe full time. Like I'm one of maybe five full-time youth pastors um, in the entire state of Arizona for the Nazarene church, which we have 65 churches. So it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but the plan is to be ordained this next spring. And um, 
I just heard a big, big uh, boop a doop. You heard a boop of a doop? I didn't yeah. hear one. Interesting. I think I we're no good. Byron, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm here. All right, we're, we're good. We're, we're good. I'll cut it out. Don't worry, it's cool. All right. Um, yeah, I, I'm getting ordained this next spring, and um, the the plan kind of is to soft launch this church plant in January. I'm building our core team out with. I have uh, two other couples right now that are real. They're they're in. They're completely on board. They're like, let's go right now. Um, it's craziness, and so January we're going to start, and the plan is to just grow. Um, just couple by couples, you know, and just pull people in and eventually move to Queen Creek and kind of start this church um, where I think hopefully the the idea um, is it might not be it might not be typical. Um, I don't think it's going to be a coffee shop church, which is kind of I wouldn't say popular, but it's a thing that's happening right now. Yeah. Um, but kind of like 100 percent focused on small groups and community. Uh, community is my big thing. Like I am on this huge community trek. And I think if we can meet together collectively, um, hopefully every week, but if it happens that it's every other week for a while, um, but we're meeting in our smaller groups and our communities every week that we're able to come in and be like, yeah, my life sucks right now. Um, (laughs) I just want to talk about it and vent. I don't want any of your advice because I keep hearing it from my parents and my coworkers and my boss. I just want to talk. And if we can create an environment where that happens and it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you identify, but that it's a community of people that know and practice this, this teachings from this Jesus guy. I think slowly we can build and grow the church. And, you know, this model might not grow. It might not be, you know, a 200 plus church, it might not be a mega church ever, which is fine. Um, but I think if we can, if we can grow 12 to 40 people that are close, tight knit, that we can help teach the gospel, um, and and teach these things, explain why is Leviticus a thing, um, (laughs) you know, and go through and, and dive through this scripture together. And, but most importantly, practice the love of Jesus. Um, I think that we can change that community that we'll move into. So that's kind of our, our thought. I, uh, I won the, the marriage lottery. Uh, my wife is a doctor of physical therapy, so she makes all the money. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you, did. you beat me. That's, that's, that's a feat, man. Normally I get to pull that and say, yeah, my wife's a nurse. Thank yeah, you. That my, uh, my dad told me when I went to college, he says, Hey, make sure when you start dating, you look for a nurse or a doctor. <laughs> and so subconsciously I must've remembered that. Uh, but Uh, But it's crazy because Rochelle works so hard um, every day. She works 10 to 12 hours a day with these kids at uh, Phoenix Children's Hospital. But she still every day comes home and asks, okay, what can we do in ministry? You know, she wants we're having the teenage girls over to the house in a couple weeks. And she's putting all that on after working and taking care of a baby and all of this stuff. She she is is in on this ministry trek um, with me and I am immensely blessed. So. I, it's not. It's not me. I want people to know that very clearly. Trevor is not the star of the show here. Um. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, man, I think we're gonna have to start wrapping up this uh, this interview with you. But before we close, uh, before we end, I'm just curious if there's a final send off in light of 
what you're currently looking to do, which is really interesting. Hopefully we can get an update or maybe when you start doing stuff, we'll share it on our, our social media or something like that. But um, generally speaking, we like to send our listeners off with some food for thought about maybe just some applications, some things they can do themselves in light of what we've talked about. And so if the theme of this episode is, you know, Trevor is this pastor who's working towards helping the church have a different perception from the outside in, and maybe that perception is more Christ-like. But what, what is something you could say to the established church right now that could start to, to move us in that direction? Like, what's a final thought you could give our listeners, whether they're in the church or not, about, uh, about just that Jesus guy thing you're about? So I'm currently trying to, I don't know if it'll be a book, but it's on my blog. I've been writing uh, kind of this thought bubble on community uh, for the past couple months now. And I believe more than anything, whether you are a part of a church or not, um, that you need to be a part of a community. And if you're a part of a church, great, take it a next step further. Are you meeting with, you know, three, six or 12 people outside of your large community church and really going through what's going on in your life? Are you really being honest with those around you? If not, um, I, I encourage you to do that. It's going to be hard. It might hurt, um, but it's so important. I believe it is so important that we have community. And those um, who are not in the church, um, I hope that you have that that hobby or those people like like my hockey team. Every Friday night, we hit the bar after the after the game, and we all just talk about our lives. Like Nick is talking about how he threw his back out because he was lifting a refrigerator at his job. And we can ask, hey, you know, do you need me to help make you a meal? It's not even the church, you know, but it's the community of people that cares enough about each other to do something. Mm. Um, And so then that next step, maybe with the people within the church is get yourself out of the bubble and make a community of people that might not look like the typical cookie cutter church person. Um, And I think you would be wildly surprised how many people might actually be Christian and they just don't know it. <laughs> Curious. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Trevor, I appreciate that. I think that's great. I love that. I love this idea. I'm going to have to go and check out your blog now. Maybe we'll, we'll get you to share something on, uh, on being on a podcast or something. We can share it on our Facebooks and everything, but thank you for, for being on the show with us. I super appreciate it. Uh, thank you for dealing with me and Byron being uh, me and Byron, right, Byron? Uh, you guys are great. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, thanks for coming on, man. Like, uh, I, yeah, I love you. I'm excited to see what you what what God uses you for in the future, and I'm just glad I've gotten to know you better, especially this year. And yeah, absolutely. You know, so I'm I'm pumped. Thanks for being I, here. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk for a bit. Absolutely, uh, and. For our listeners, thank you for giving us the time of day. Thank you for hearing Trevor's story and for for caring about what some millennials have to say about what it means to be pastors, churches, or Christ followers. Uh, if you like hearing about this stuff, you can engage more fully. You can talk with us. You can respond. You can give us feedback. We actually get that sometimes. We're on Facebook. We have a page and a group because I guess there's different hierarchy with Facebook on why, I don't know, it's annoying. We have a Twitter, and we also have an Instagram account. (laughs) You can rate or review, you can subscribe, you can do all the things. It should be pretty easy to do. Uh, We're basically everywhere podcasts can be. 
And like Byron always likes to say, if you're going to give us feedback, try to make it constructive and not just Byron <laughs> is dumb. No one's ever done that, by the way. It's just a never ending joke that I will kill by never stop stopping saying it. I mean, no one said it on our social media, but I mean, I, I've heard it mostly from you. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's still that's still uh, feedback. It's not very constructive, but, you know, uh, yeah, again, remember, it's Byron is dumb because then you, <laughs> you keep moving with it. And then I can learn something. Oh, my Lanta. Well, yeah, we're going to digress even <laughs> further. So let's wrap this up. If you want to hear more about what millennials think or if you want to stay tuned for our next cycle of Nuns and Duns, Season Saints, and then Millennial Pastors, then please stay tuned to our next podcast that's going to drop in maybe a couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. And this is it. It's over. Goodbye. <laughs>